Hey there, and welcome to Queer I Am, Lord, a brand new show where I say that two or more gather together in God's name, Takiki. I'm Jorge Olivares of HeyJorge.com, and today I'm joined by fellow Catholic Ryan McQuaid. Now, Ryan, I appreciate, was one of the first people to respond to my call out to the world where I said, hi, queer Catholics, where are you? Because I would really love the chance to talk to you. And the beautiful part about not only hearing from Ryan, but hearing from a lot of you, um, is the fact that I love that people are so happy to talk about being queer Catholics and are ecstatic about exclaiming it from the top of their lungs. So I'm excited to welcome Ryan to, to the show to talk about his journey. But I also want to talk about, as I've been saying to most of y'all, this is a conversation that we're conducting via Zoom. I get a chance to see Ryan right now. And if I'm not mistaken, is that a beautiful sketch drawing of Mother Teresa right behind it you? Is. Yeah, I'm an artist uh, and that's a portrait I did of her, yeah. So let's talk about that first. Well, yeah. first, welcome and thank you, thank for, you. for doing this. Um, what a beautiful rendering of Mother Teresa. It is such, like, it, it looks identical to her. Thank you, yeah. Talk, talk about the decision to, one, use her as um, somebody that you chose to draw, but two, the importance of having it hanging up in your home. Mm, that's a really good question. Yeah, because I pass by it every day and uh, <laughs> it's good to think about it. Yeah, I did this watercolor painting of Mother Teresa. Um, I, I love doing portraits. Um, a large bulk of like my work is doing portraits of, of saints, of Mary, of Jesus. And um, yeah, Mother Teresa just meant um, a lot to me, particularly um, in college, I think was a really huge point for me. I just really liked the way that her Catholicism was insanely practical and not a lot of words. And that she, and also just like in light of like what her doubt that came out afterwards, someone who was incredibly relatable to me as someone who didn't always, didn't get it or didn't have like all the answers for everything, but just practically lived her faith. And I think that's what I'm trying to go for. Uh, <laughs> so, Well, I love that you say that a lot of the work that you do, specifically when it comes to designing art, mm -hmm. um, kind of is with Catholic imagery and these symbols and these figures that we've been following or who have been a part of our lives, especially if you've been a Catholic your entire life. Like they are just there, they're constant presences in our lives. Um, what is it about them as subjects that you enjoy using? Yeah, I, I just feel like um, Catholicism or just these, these kind of symbols or these people that you're talking about, like we just have such a personal relationship to them. Do you know what I mean? Like I don't, when I see an image of Mary I understand her to be my mother, this person who's walked with me, a spiritual guide to me. When I look at the Mona Lisa, I don't have that kind of effect. And so I think there's like this Ooh, real, good like, sacredness around all these people, right? Um, yeah, and these symbols as well mean a lot to us. I think there's a lot of power and a lot of really uh, beautiful like work to be done in communicating those, portraying those people, communicating those symbols in ways that need to be said right now right like in kind of show them in a new light um portray them in a way that's a bit more honest um and more maybe more true to the character of, of those people so that's sort of like what i i love approaching um i just want to see catholic art that's that kind of i don't know maybe 
speaks to the moment, resonates with people again. Um, if we're still pulling artwork from like the Renaissance as like the the peak, well, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't made for any of us, you know. So like, uh, I don't know. I just want to portray them to to. I, I just want the Catholic art to reflect the Catholic community that exists right now, mm. you know. So. Was was Catholic art what led you down this path as a profession, hobby, however you you use this? I mean, maybe I yeah. I so I I so much of like my story, my life exists within Catholic like ministry. You know, that was like where I like um, that was where I came out. That was where I felt like I could be. That's. Um, that's where I work presently. <laughs> like that's like, so it's like, it's always sort of been under this kind of context um, that like my art is valuable to this community and these people. And I, and I speak to these people. Right. Um, yeah. That's always sort of been a thing. I, I, I truthfully am trying to like maybe explore outside of that to be like, like, you know, I don't, it doesn't always need to be heavy. It doesn't always need to be um, a painting of a saint, you know, but um, yeah, I don't know. My art has always kind of like come through. Art has always been an outlet for me to express what's going on in my spiritual life. That's sort of what I mean. And my spiritual life is a Catholic spiritual life really, or it's been, very much shaped by Catholicism. So that's sort of where it, it ends up falling most times, you know. I love that you talk about the value of art because from the outside looking in, a lot of us would think, you know, monetary value, if it's something that is a huge piece of work, um, it would cost, you know, millions and millions of dollars. Now, I, I can say that the value of the portrait that you have of Mother Teresa back there Mm-hmm. is probably uncalculable like it, it is just nice. it, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean like it, it it's probably hard for you to quantify the value that that has for you sure. because it resonates on a completely different level than mm-hmm. how a lot of us view money or view other forms of, of transaction I guess is a, yeah, a way to yeah, put yeah. it so talk a little bit about about that, about sort of the the value, and especially as an artist, about the value that you hope works like this have. Yeah, that's that's a great question. I I feel like um, when I think about the value of like my art, the art of other Catholics to the church, it's it's really interesting because I think that's um, that can often go like one of two ways that like people can see Catholic art as valuable because it reinforces everything they think about themselves. And I would really say that that's Catholic propaganda, which we have plenty of. I mean, the, the, um, a lot of Catholic art is kind of propaganda, you know, but um, I think that Catholic art is really valuable when it asks you more questions than it answers, you know, like it, mm, mm-hmm. it, it pushes you or it challenges you which I just think like, um, that's just what I aspire to, the Catholic artist or the Catholic artist, the artist who created for the Catholic church or out of a, a spirit of Catholicism. I admire the ones who pushed us, who, who um, I, like didn't make us comfortable, you know, but, but rather like wanted to show something new or honest or um, uh, 
refreshing about the gospel that we hadn't seen in art before. You know, I think of like my, I love Caravaggio who is like such a complicated figure. Um, we like love to throw his artwork on like um, calendars and like books and like, <laughs> in our like, grandma's home. But like, like he was at a time when like the church was under like such scrutiny for being so out of touch with like the poor and the like the ostracized and marginalized who were literally right outside of their walls. Like he painted them inside the church to, to, to like, literally bring them into the church you know um he killed somebody he like is certainly not like a saint like he um <laughs> had such a complicated relationship with himself and god and the church um but it's that like honesty i think is why we still are looking at his artwork this much later you know or bernini who like just had such a wild relationship <laughs> with with women with sex and the church and and that like his honesty about sex materializes in the ecstasy of St. Teresa, which we love right now. You know, like we, uh-huh. it's a classic, but it's, I think it's a classic because it was insanely honest about both um, the subject matter, Teresa of Avila, and what he knew about sex and what he, like he brought all of that to the table. Um, yeah, I just think like that to me is what makes some of our work as Catholics like really valuable is when we're able to bring the fullness of like our spiritual life and the fullness of who our own experience to the table, right? That's gonna be, that I think is gonna last so much longer than propaganda or something that kind of keeps things as they are, right? Or, or blesses things as they are, you know? I like that you say that about the distinction between the art and the propaganda, even though sometimes they can't coexist. Um, because a lot of us have been fed the propaganda and have used that to dictate how we go about living our lives, either as queer folk or not. Um, But to kind of go back to a point you made a little bit before about the comparison you made to Mother Teresa in terms of the practicality of expression of faith. Um, Talk a little bit more about that so that way people can get a sense as to how you're approaching it. Maybe with or without art kind of factoring into it since it has played such a, a big role in your expression. Um, but what does it mean to be, to, ex- to go about your faith in a practical manner? Mm. I mean, yeah, maybe to put the most honestly of what I'm being challenged right now spiritually is that it, it literally means to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, to visit the imprisoned, um, to give drink to the thirsty. It literally means that, um, I, I just to share where I'm at, like literally right now, I think like I was just very challenged by this, like in prayer that I was, um, I could say a lot of nice things about the poor. I could have a lot of pity for the poor and advocate for the poor and say, we really need to do something about this situation. Right. Or I, I'm, care very deeply about prison abolition. And I could talk all day about how we need to um, abolish the prison system and take care of the prisoner. And, and I, could, I could do that endlessly for the rest of my life and yet like still miss the command to visit them or to mm, uh-huh. feed the poor person, right? And that I'm for me, that's the kind of practicality that I'm like looking for is that I think in Catholic spaces, ministry, especially uh, 
we just divulge into like semantics and, and conversations about everything. And I think so much time is wasted in those spaces because Jesus really, um, what I believe Jesus really just asked us to do the thing um, and to not worry about how you talk about it. You know, um, that's a challenge for me. I, I, I feel like I was raised up um, like um, valued um, in ministry spaces because I could talk endlessly about some things. Um, but I, <laughs> it's horrifying to realize that I wasn't doing much of it, you know? Um, and just, I mean, that's what Mother Teresa means to me. She's, she's like, her books are, I, I think I'm just sort of struck by her. Like when you look at her writings or like her talks in print, it's just incredibly to the point. It's just like, it's not a story. It's not even very interesting other than just like feed the poor, love Jesus. Like, <laughs> like who are the outcasts? Where is your Calcutta? It's these like little sentences that I was just like, so, so struck by. And I think um, one story in particular stands out to me is that I, when I was just like absolutely obsessed with her, I was just like on YouTube watching every interview with her or whatever. And what always <laughs> struck me like with mother Teresa was, she would be, she would sit down for an interview and someone would ask her like, well, tell me about your childhood. How did you end up in an order? How did you kind of like come to the position you're in? You're such this political figure. You're a, you're a saint in the world right now. Like, tell me about yourself. And she would cut them off and say like, I'm so uninteresting, but you know, who's not <laughs> like uninteresting, the poor, we need to do something about it. You know what I mean? She, she was given the Nobel peace prize and she goes up there and just does not talk about herself, doesn't talk about like, like, thank you for this. So I, when I was growing up, I wanted to see someone to, you know, like me, it's, uh -huh. it's not about that. Like she just always brought it back to the person that needed her. And I think that is just so honorable. There's something that screams like, that's like so saintly to me um, that they just clearly gave up their life for other people. I don't know, I aspire to that. I think something can be said about, and this is me in no way trying to minimize anybody's experience, but it, it seems as though if we're talking about practicality and the ease in which one could understand Catholicism, like at the root of it all, it's love one another as I have loved you. Right. And one can just say, that is the message, that is the answer, that is the goal. In the inverse, when you talk about queerness, it is so complicated. It is so like, as much as you want it to be boiled down to one particular message, sort of as we see Catholic faith emulating towards like full love, like queerness is just not that, at least in my own personal experience. Do you kind of agree in that sense that like the practicality that you wish to express your Catholic faith, which could work for you, is quite different, especially when you apply it to who you are as a, as a sexual person. Oh yeah, no, I, I would not, I would wholeheartedly reject that, that queerness <laughs> is a simple thing. Um, yeah, I very much despise kind of this, like, well, okay, let me just tell you, I feel like when I see like straight um, speakers or preachers or anything get up and say like like 
the LGBTQ conversation is incredibly simple. The Bible is incredibly clear. Church teaching is incredibly clear. I, I immediately know everything I need to know that you have not talked to a queer person. Like you, uh-huh. you are, you are not in discipleship. You are not learning from, you're not walking with many queer people or the people that you do know are like, you're not having very in-depth conversations with them about the real experience of their lives. There's nothing simple about this. Um, and I would even say it's an injustice to the Bible and Catholic teaching to just call it simple and straightforward. There's nothing simple about the Bible. I absolutely nothing. You're saying I can highlight it, underline it, ship it to somebody. So that way, they yes. like the juxtaposition of how, as I mentioned about the simplistic nature in which we can view Catholicism and the simplistic way in which people who have no idea want to say how our lives are or our placement in the church is. Yeah. Ah, beautiful, yeah, I, right? I think like what the real danger though of simplifying my experience, your experience, or anyone's queer experience is if you rob us of the mystery of our own lives, do you not like, do, like, do you not simplify God so far down that you no longer have any awe or wonder or mystery to God. Like, I think that that's what's beautiful about queerness is we reflect a part of God that is inexpressible, um, that is often like maybe confusing or difficult to understand or um, outside of your norm or your what you're comfortable with. I think that's the best part of God, <laughs> that, uh-huh. that God remains a mystery to me and it leaves me in endless wonder and awe of who God is, right? That's what's beautiful to me about God. And I see my, my own queerness as a reflection of that divine image. Um, I think it's only like, an, it's, it's unfortunate to the person who can't see the mystery in me because I wonder if they can see any mystery left in God. Um, it's unfortunate. They are missing out. They're missing out. Um, if you feel like you have a handle on who God is, then I worry you don't know them at all. What do you say is the most mysterious part about God or your relationship with God? Mm. I think, to me, I've just been really fascinated by the fact that God is almost too slow, too quiet, too hidden. Uh, and, And yet, I feel such an, at times I feel so intimate with God. I think that's like, that's really fascinating to me. I don't know that. that um, the stealthness of the Lord where you're like, I know yeah. you're here somewhere. Yes. And yeah. I know you're going to reveal yourself to me in one particular way. And I feel you, I feel your presence. I feel your energy. I just don't know quite where. Yes. Sometimes I feel like that is, uh, that's, that's sometimes the most mysterious and like lovable thing. And I'm so fascinated by that. Um, other times that's incredibly painful. So <laughs> like, I'm not like, wow, I love that God doesn't talk to me. You know what I mean? But I think, um, I don't know. I think there's something so fascinating there that, that, I, that God remains a mystery to me, you know? Um, that I remain a mystery to myself. I'm the alternative sounds boring and horrible, right? That like, <laughs> that everything that exists, I have a, a 
a handle on and I, I can control it. You know, I, I'm at least this morning, I'm happy to not have a handle on anything. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Would you say that the, the mystery of who you are, is that rooted in your queerness or because you're so um, accepting and joyous of what that queerness means for you, that the mystery is about something else or maybe about how that queerness interacts with something else. Yeah, I don't, I don't know like that I'd say it's, it, it feels kind of tricky to answer that. Let me say why, because I, I, on one hand, I would say it's rooted in my queerness. On the other hand, I wouldn't say that it's in, like only rooted in my queerness. You know what I mean? I think it's, I would probably say it's rooted in the fact that I'm made in the image of God right? And a part of what makes me made in the image of God is being queer, you know? So I think, you know, obviously there's like debates about that around semantics, but I, I very much see it as like, it's, there's many ways in which I reflect the mystery of God. And maybe the most prominent to me right now is, is queerness because it is, um, seems to be a mystery to everyone else as well. So, you know, (laughs) I, I feel like I should ask because we've been talking a good portion about your art, about the calling that you have to be an artist. How would you draw God? What kind of colors, what kind of things would need to be present in, in a Ryan McQuaid original about what God looks like? Oh, that's such a good question. I feel like so a lot of my art centers around this, um, the concept of darkness um, in that like most of my figures are pushed back into darkness or there's elements that we are uncomfortable with that are often associated with like dark stuff. Um, for me, that's really the image of God in the, in the painting, right? Or that's the presence of God in the painting. For me, I think we're, unfortunately like, I think we've taken this idea of darkness and anything that's scary to us, we've put it in a folder and we've put it to the side and said, that's not good. But I mean, I'm grateful to be in Catholicism because like, you don't have to go far enough back to realize that's not true. And like that God is very much present in the darkness, in the questioning, in the doubting, Um, not even necessarily as an answer to all of that, not as an answer or a solution or a remedy to the darkness, but rather as a, the, the experience of it, right? The, like his presence is there. And um, so for me, when I'm painting these saints and they're like um, set against a night sky, they're hidden a bit in darkness or um, you just see these symbols of like the moon or, or things that even just feel dark to us or uncomfortable, like, that to me is the presence of God, like in the work. And that's maybe how I would draw God. I, I just recently put out a book with a friend of mine, Claire of, of poetry. And I illustrated the whole thing um, of the stations of the cross. And um, for the illustration of Jesus dies on the cross, um, we just ended up going with a, it felt very, I'm sorry, I have to preface. It feels very like, like annoying artist, but I, <laughs> we ended up doing, we ended up doing this because we had a conversation about it and we love this, th- what this meant was the image of it is just a blank black page for Jesus dies on the cross. 
the poem is absent. There's only blank pages. And I think like we did that just because we, she found herself at a loss for words, to, what to say about Jesus, God dying, you know? And, and I felt that the truest representation of God dying was just utter darkness that what can you see about it? Do you know, what does it really mean? And, and I think that might sound depressing to some people, like, like that I, when I think of God, I just see maybe darkness but I think there's a lot of mystery to darkness. I think there's a lot to be found in darkness. There's a lot, um, there's way, just way more interesting. Like, you know, like I, maybe- Evening, evening needed to come before morning could follow. So- and, and for me right now, it's, if God is present in the darkness, I don't even know that I need that quote unquote morning to follow, you know? I just need Ooh. to be here, you know? I need to get into it. Um, for a while, I think myself and- and I see it in Catholic spaces, we run from the darkness, we run from our doubting and questioning, we run from the things that make us uncomfortable, and we prefer to stay in the very um, small space that is well lit. Um, but there is so much beyond our understanding if we're willing to, to go into the places where we, where, we, where we can't see very clearly, you know? Um, for me, that's, God is showing me that that they are so much greater than this very small, well-lit section that I um, am comfortable with. Uh -huh. And um, for me, that visually looks like darkness. Um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm laying on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanna ask you something that I hope you don't mind because it could be quite personal. Um, but there's something I really enjoy about talking to queer people um, about their tattoos because yeah. I feel like a lot of queer people I know all have tattoos, um, except for myself, which is a story in and of itself. But uh, for people, I did mention that we were having this conversation via Zoom, so I can see you and I can see um, your body and you have a very large sleeve tattoo if I'm not mistaken. I do, yeah. How much, how much of whatever, either tattoos you have on your arm or elsewhere, how much of it is religious in nature? all of it is religious in nature, I guess. Interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah, I, uh, can I give you the tour? Can yes. I do the tour of my arm? So I, I first got um, a portrait of Mary on my shoulder. And did you design each of these? I did not. I went to an artist that I really admired um, who kind of interpreted all of this for me. So I have Mary um, who is uh, dressed like a queen and there's roses all around her flowers and she's holding in her hand gripping the knife that pierced her heart um for me like our lady of sorrows just means a lot to me and um i like the idea of her not being pierced by it but rather gripping it and holding on to it just in a way that felt familiar like jesus embracing his cross right like uh -huh. taking hold of it um for me that that means a lot to my experience of of being queer is being like feeling <laughs> pierced through the heart by this uh, <laughs> and taking it out and holding it. Um, yeah, something to be um, proud of or something that I've gone through. You know, I have St. Francis on my, on my forearm who um, is contemplating his death, um, who is another saint who was incredibly practical like Mother Teresa. He just, he stopped talking at some point and just started doing the thing he was <laughs> Uh, I have a skull on me. On that's maybe the least religious. A lot of people. I love Memento Mori, but I also just love drawing skulls. It's just 
fun and how I zone out. Um, and I just recently got a big uh, raven um, on my inner arm. And that one to me was, um, maybe you were, we're talking about darkness, maybe the most indicative of this time I'm in right now is, um, I love that this raven in the Old Testament um, was very much a symbol of like a bad omen, things to come, um, a, a need for repentance and penance, uh, and was kind of this like warning to, to people of prepare for your death, um, repent and give up things, um, and, and maybe a sign of darkness coming, right? Quote unquote, darkness coming. Um, but when we move into the teachings of Jesus, I love that he uses the raven. He says, um, when he's, he's talking about the things of this world, he says, consider the ravens, how they neither toil or, uh, right. They neither, they neither mm -hmm. like build up things for themselves, like, uh, but they're always provided. And I think I just love that because we typically like when we visualize that story, we think of sparrow, think of these sweet like birds, think of a sparrow. That's true. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. In other passages like it is. Um, but I believe it's in, I might be mistaken, but I think it might be in Luke. He says, consider the ravens. And to me, that just, that just means a lot to me as like, like consider the things you're not comfortable with, consider repenting, consider penance, consider the darkness that you're often afraid of. Like what he's basically saying there, or I just feel it resonated for me, what he was saying there was consider the dark things, consider the things that are really difficult and look to them. They will hopefully let you, allow you to let go of these, the things you're worried about, you know? And I feel like that for me, like the darkness, this mystery I'm talking about, um, it, it might seem scary, but I think it does lead to you to a place where you say, oh, I don't have control of anything. I can truly like let go and depend on the divine. I can, I can let go of needing to have an answer. I can let go of needing to be, um, right about everything i can let go of this need to control the narrative like i can just um i can let go and that can look scary like he's acknowledging the raven mm -hmm. it looks scary when it's coming but hopefully i think it, it leads you to a point where um you truly truly depend on god um not the god you've made up in your head who's, who um makes you feel comfortable but the real presence of god so so literally let go and let god <laughs> just there you go. It's gonna be. Could have just got that tattooed on me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for indulging me and in, in sharing that, uh, and also yeah. for, for sharing your story. I want you, if you feel so called to, to share your social media um, mm -hmm. handles with everybody, so that way they can follow you, and also how to get that book that you talked about. Yeah. So my social media handles are Ryan MCQ, Ryan McQuaid. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter. Um, um, all my art is is on Instagram. Um, and if you want to get anything, I, I run a shop. I, I'm selling my book right now. You can go to ryanmcq.com and all this stuff's there. Wonderful. Well, right. This not only has been this a lot of fun, but I want to end by saying peace be with you. Thank you. Peace be with you. <laughs> <laughs>